Let's open our Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, the seventh chapter. Nehemiah, the seventh chapter. We'll try to cover the seventh because there's and the eighth because in the seventh chapter, though there are many verses, a lot of it is uh, a register of those, and we won't take time to read all the register because it's just a. It'd be very lengthy, and uh, I don't know if you have any trouble pronouncing some of these names or not, but I do once in a while, quite often. But anyway, be that as it may, there's some good points that we want to bring out in this seventh chapter of the book of Nehemiah. We'll start with verse 1 through down about verse 5 at least, and uh, <clears throat> or verse 6, and then uh, we'll skip on down to various verses in this seventh chapter and try to get into the eighth chapter because the eighth chapter has a lot of uh, greater spiritual uh, meanings about it even than this. So, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1. <clears throat> Before we read it, let me just say that uh, in this chapter, Nehemiah deals with the register or genealogy of the people that had returned from captivity. And uh, there's a few, there's a lot of recognition of the people, but there's a few problems also with some. And we'll find that as we go through the lesson. In verse 1, Now it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors, and the porters, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed, that I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace. By the way, the palace is a uh, place where the uh, a citadel, actually. It's a fortress located in the northeast corner of Jerusalem, and instead of just being a palace, it was a place for protection. It was a fortress, actually. So it says, uh, the ruler of the palace char- uh, charged over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. It was ordinarily opened uh, at dawn, but that was a little bit early. Nehemiah said, we're going to because of the need for the protection of the city, they didn't want to open them up too early. They wanted to, it says, till the sun be hot, which would be probably about an hour later than normal. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch and everyone to be over against his house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. And my God put into mine heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy. This is the important point of this chapter. And I found a register of the genealogy of them which came up at the first and found written therein. These are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those that had been carried away whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away and came again to Jerusalem and to Judah, everyone to his city. Now then... uh, Having said that, we won't read all the names of these. You'll find the names are recorded way on down almost all the way through the chapter. But a few comments on this first part. Notice that uh, the wall was built, verse 1, and the uh, doors were set up, and they're porters. The porters were the guards of the doors, or doorkeepers. So there was free access to enter these doors, but there was also the, the strict uh, security of these doors. You know, this might remind us of the church. Everyone is free to come in, but the church needs to be careful as to who comes in. Sometimes we're not too careful. We just let, in fact, many churches just let everybody in, regardless of what they believe or what they stand for, notwithstanding there may be great doctrinal divisions or great differences uh, that uh, would uh, ultimately cause great problems in the church. 
Now, I don't mean by that that uh, it happens very often, but it does happen. And so the doors were there and the porters were there. They were the doorkeepers. And uh, you might say the church itself is a keeper of the walls because it has certain principles and a covenant relationship that the church ought to go by. And if a fellow comes in and says, well, I don't go by, I don't need to be baptized, or I don't need to do this, or I don't need to do that, say, so, well, you know, you have to, if you're going to join a Baptist church, you have to be baptized to come into the Baptist church. And the various other rules and regulations that the Bible teaches are proper and true. And a church covenant usually is good for understanding where we stand together in the work and service of the Lord. But anyway, there are certain restrictions, certain principles that we go by. And it says, and the singers and the Levites. The singers are the ones that make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And the Levites were the, you might say, the appointed teachers. They were appointed. In verse 2, you have a, a faithful man that was set in the place to, uh, to guard in the palace or the, uh, the uh, fortress that's located at the northeast corner of Jerusalem, we said a little bit ago. And he feared God above many. That's the last part of verse 2. It tells in verse 3, the latter part of verse 3, that, uh, well, let's just read it uh, down. It says, and appoint watches, look at that part, of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, look this, everyone in his watch, and everyone to be over against his house. So every person has a position. Every person has a responsibility. And in, in this local church, as well as in all churches, we all have responsibilities. They had as far as the city was concerned. Because Jerusalem was compassed about with many enemies. Even in the, after the days of Nehemiah, we've read about some of them in the previous chapter. How they really wanted to destroy Nehemiah, and they didn't care for the Jews at all. And uh, they wanted to destroy the work of God. And so you face this from time to time. And uh, in this case, everyone has a place to fill. And when everyone fills his place, you can count on greater security and protection. Everyone his watch and everyone to be over against his house. So they were dwelling there and they were to take their place. Now then, um, in verse 5, it says, And my God put it in mine heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of them which came up at the first and found written therein. Then he goes ahead and starts naming. And you can glance at your Bible and see all the way down. Uh, let's drop down to uh, the, norm, the ordinary people were registered on down to verse 38. And then in verse 39... Look at verse 39. You see the priests mentioned and verse uh, 44, the singers mentioned and verse 45, the porters and their name. And you go right on down and you'll find in verse 57, the children of, a Sol the children of Solomon's servants. And you have a great register there. And verse 61 is what I want you to see. Verse 61 and 64, very important in this chapter. And these were they which went up also from Telmela, Telharisha, Cherub, Adon, and Emmer. But they could not show their father's house nor their seed, whether they were of Israel. Down on verse 63, and of the priest. It mentions them. And in verse 64, these sought their register among those that were reckoned. This is the important key verse. Verse 61, verse 63. These sought their register, I mean 64, I should say. These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, 
But it was not found, therefore were they as polluted put from the priesthood. Because their name was not found on the register. Therefore they were as polluted and they were put from the priesthood. They sought their name. They sought their register and it could not be found. Now that's a sad thing. I don't know how sad it was for Israel of old. But it would be a sad day in the future for people in great masses and churches to feel like their name was registered in heaven and when we get to the end of the road find out that it was not written there that would be a very sad thing wouldn't it and I believe there are such people but uh, Jesus said that rejoice not that the demons remember when he sent out the 70 to heal the sick cleanse the leper and to serve and preach and to heal diseases and they came back and they rejoiced that demons were subject to them but Jesus said rejoice not that the devils are subject to you But he says, rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, if there's anything for you and I to rejoice in, it's that our names are written in heaven. And to be thankful that we're a child of God by faith in Christ. And that we've been born again into the family of God and the kingdom of God by faith. And been counted, we are counted as righteous. And the righteous are the ones that are going to appear with God in glory. Now you say, well, I don't feel righteous, neither do I. And uh, you look at the other fellow around about you and say, well, I, I, I see a lot of things wrong with him, and I don't know how righteous he is. But nevertheless, through Christ, we have his imputed righteousness. And God looks upon us through what Jesus has done for us. And therefore, we're reckoned, we're justified in the sight of God. And we're declared to be righteous through him, even though we can see our own faults and failures. So uh, I'm grateful that uh, there is a substitutionary uh, sacrifice and a righteousness that's given to us. The Bible says that he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. Christ knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so we're the righteousness of God. And when we look at ourselves, we say, well, I see that I'm not righteous. And we look at other folks, we see that they're not uh, maybe the example they need to be of righteousness or the epitome of righteousness but on the other hand God has looked upon us through his sacrifice because none of us are righteous enough the Bible says Jesus said I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance and he goes on to say in the book of Romans the third chapter there is none righteous no not one so in the fourth chapter we're told how we can be that way righteous and Abraham believed God and it was what listen carefully It was accounted, Romans chapter 4, unto him for righteousness. In the fourth chapter of Romans, it says also, imputed and reckoned. Righteousness is imputed to us, and righteousness is reckoned unto us because of our faith in Christ. Now, if you can show me a person that's righteous on any other basis, I'd like to see that guy, wouldn't you? Because... All of us have our sins and shortcomings and faults and failures. And the Bible de- definitely declares, I don't have to worry about it or even question about it, because the Bible definitely declares that there is none righteous, no, not one. And uh, so we have to have more than we really are to be accepted of God. And you read the last few verses of the fourth chapter of Romans, and it will tell you, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And it also says that it was not written just for Abraham's sake, for his sake alone, but for us also. If we believe on him who was delivered for our offenses, that's Jesus, and was raised again for our justification, then it shall be imputed to us. This faith that brings righteousness will be counted to us. Now then, uh, there's a lot of things more we could read in this uh, 
seventh chapter, but let's get into the meat of the eighth chapter because I believe this is the uh, one we need to be into. We've mentioned enough to give you an overall view of the seventh. But in the eighth chapter, and all the people gathered together themselves, gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. By the way, it'd be good if everyone today would be as concerned about the preacher bringing the book, wouldn't it? And they wanted uh, Ezra to bring the book. And you study back in the Kings, I believe it's King Josiah, when they brought the book and read in that, uh, the book, there was a great revival broke out. And so we find that uh, that's what people need today as well as in that day. The preacher needs to stand behind the pulpit with the book. And the people need to have to, uh, really need a desire to hear what was written in the book. Uh, the preacher was Ezra. And Ezra was known as a ready scribe in the law of Moses. You read Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6. He was called a ready scribe. R-E-A-D-Y. That means he was ready to preach and ready to teach. And being a priest, he was well qualified as one to expound the scriptures. He was a recipient of God's grace. He was uh, familiar with the truth. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And in a measure should come to every preacher of the gospel. And Jesus uh, preached his first sermon and he, in the book of uh, Luke, the fourth chapter, verse 16, came to, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He read the book and he closed the book. Now we know the book was not written in a, in the, or bound in the form that we have it today. It was really a scroll, but it's, it's still called a book. And here, he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down in the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words. That's what I wanted to get to which proceeded out of his mouth. Back here when Ezra, a ready scribe, he was uh, well versed in the scripture. Now hold your place in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 1. So Ezra and Nehemiah actually go together, and you'll find that the book of Ezra uh, gives us much the same record of what of some of the things that we've been studying in the 7th and 8th chapter here. But I want you to notice, the meeting place was the water gate, Remember when we studied the gates in the third chapter, when we was going around the city, when we were going around the city, I should say, when we were going around the city and each gate was set up, uh, and repaired and set upon its hinges, that when they came to water gate, symbolical of the word of God, that it didn't need any repairing. The other gates, it said they repaired, they repaired. But water gate or the place where the word of God you might say if it's typical and symbolical of the Word of God, do you think this Bible needs any repairing? I believe it'll do. Old uh, Harry Truman said, I don't see why you, when you've got a good thing, King James Version, some people want to come along and mess it up. And uh, that was from one of our presidents. Because he believed it was 
poetic and it was uh, written and it was true and it was a true translation of the, of the original scriptures as I do today. Even though we have some words that have changed from time to time. And people say, well, I have difficulty understanding it. You know, this maybe God wanted it to, like it is so that you would search it out a little more. Remember, Jesus himself said that God has hidden these things from the prudent and the wise and has revealed them to babes. So when you study in God's revelation, he can make clear to you a lot of things that possibly you felt like were so difficult. And the first thing you know, you'll find that the way it's written here is very, very uh, spiritual. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So let's go on down. So it was the place of Watergate, verse 1. Into the street before the Watergate was the place of the meeting. And it's typical of the Word of God. Into the street typical of the openness of the message to all. This the message was open to all. We'll find that out in a moment when we study about the hearers. Look at verse 2. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Wasn't it open to all? All the hearers. The hearers were numerous, both men and women, and all that had understanding. And they literally hungered after the Word of God. And by the way, you'll find out that Ezra read from morning to Till midday. And the word morning here means at the dawning of the day. It means very early in the morning. At least five hours. You say that preacher preached 45 minutes and almost an hour today. Ezra read five hours. And reading the Word of God was just about as important as someone... He did give the sense. You'll find down in verse 8. It says he read the law distinctly and gave the sense. And cause them to understand the reading. And you know, we need preachers today that will cause people to understand exactly what it says. Cause them to understand the reading. That's what Ezra was doing. And the, the hearers were numerous. They literally hungered for the Word of God. In uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 1, we'll find... You remember Jesus? He had the uh, little ship there. Chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read this. And he asked uh, for a ship to preach from. Uh, it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. What did they do? It came to pass as the people pressed upon him. For what purpose? To have a good time? To, uh, to uh, go to a party? To socialize with all of the community in a broad and non-restricted way so that everybody compromises their beliefs? No. They pressed upon him to hear the word of God. That he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. He sat down and taught the people. I'm afraid a lot of times we don't realize how important what Ezra did was in reading the word of God. Some of the old preachers in times gone by would get the people together Instead of preaching to him, he'd read to them. And he'd read uh, chapter after chapter. That's what Ezra was doing. And as he re read it, he expounded it. Say, this is what this means. This is what that means. Expository preaching, we call it. In verse uh, 3 it says, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning till midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive. Look at that word. Attentive. 
unto the book of the law. They attended, they listened to it. They were attentive. They were more interested in the book than the preacher, which is right. The message than the man. They were reverent. We'll find on down in verse 5. Let's go on down and read verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. To stand up was virtually to declare their willingness to hear. And to obey. My, what a reception. I mean, he had a pretty good congregation there, didn't he? Everyone was attentive to hear it. Verse 4 tells us, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood uh, Matthiah and Shemiah, Shemiah, and Anna and Urijah, and Hilkiah, and Messiah, and on his right hand and on his left. And you find that they all were recognized. Verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the God, blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. And lifted up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. My, what a scene of worship. In verse, uh, the last part of verse 7, And the people, he caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. You know, this preacher's manner, he began by blessing the Lord. He was deeply conscious of the greatness of the occasion and of God and of the message of God and the great need for the people to hear the word and of his own responsibility to preach it. There's, there's something well to recognize. The people need to hear it and we're responsible to preach it. And God is the one that will direct it to their hearts and minds. And Nehemiah verse 9, which is uh, of the Tishra and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept, for they had heard the words of the law. When he stuck to the book, he knew what the people needed, and it was not his thoughts, but what God's thoughts and God's word had to say. And he spoke distinctly. He spoke straight out and clear and plain. It says up in verse uh, uh, 8, so they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. He did not use the pulpit as a place to entertain or to put on an act. And those that were responsive to the reading said, Amen, Amen. And they worshiped God and adored Him. It's a solemn thing to hear the Word of God and refuse to yield to His claims. You can hear it, but you ought to yield to His claims. And the people did. He explained the text. He read distinctly and gave the sense. This was a no. This was not a formal, heartless reading of the word. The soul of man is greatly exercised by the word of God. There would be so so many senseless hearers. There wouldn't would not be so many if the preachers were faithful in preaching the word of God as Ezra was the word of God. He enforced the truth. He caused them to understand the mind of the Lord as responsible beings to exercise their own minds, the thoughts of God concerning themselves. You see, this Bible is not just for it to go out and over men's heads. It's supposed to come to us and produce an effect. In verse 9, notice it says, The people wept. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Do we take serious enough when God says, Thou shalt, thou shalt not? And what God says in His Word, do we take it serious enough? The effect produces they wept. Only reading the Word brought conviction to the heart. And it brought tears of penance to their eyes. The Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful when believed. And sharper than any two-edged sword. That's Hebrews 4 verse 12. They rejoiced the word, uh, at the Word of God and at the preaching of the Word of God. It made their heart to rejoice. And if you look over in verse uh, 12, we'll read on down to verse 12, you'll find that... A lot of things happened here that's important too. 
Let's read verse 10 first. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions. Send portions to the, unto them for whom nothing is prepared. See, you not only are to feed upon it, but you're to give it to something. You're to feed others. They fed on the Word of God, and they ate and drank. And of course, we know that they were fed upon the Word, first of all, spiritually. And then they physically did eat and drink. And they were commanded to share with others, send portions to others, unto them whom nothing is repaired, is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be you sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength, or your stronghold, or your fortress. The joy of the Lord is your stronghold. Look in Psalm 27, verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So when we find He is our joy, He is our strength, He is our stronghold, this verse says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now then, verse 11, So the Levites stilled all the people, hushed of the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. When uh, you realize that God's day is holy, when you still the people, you know the Bible tells us to be still, be still, and know that I am God. Sometimes we're in such a fizz and fuming around and fussing around and going and doing our own thing and worried about everything, and I've been there as well as you, that we fail to realize what it's telling us. It tells us to be still and know that I'm God. So the Levites still the people saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be you grieved. Neither be you grieved. And we're grieved half the time, aren't we? And it says, And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions... They did exactly what they were taught to do, to send portions. He said, you eat and drink and you be merry and you be happy, but you share it with other people. And make great mirth because they had understood. Why did they do all this? Because they understood the words that were declared unto them. They were willing. Remember they stood when the word was read? That meant that they were ready to hear it and to obey it. James says, be ye doers of the word and not what? Hearers only. So we must be willing to stand and to hear the word and then to obey the word. And they were told that they were to eat and drink, but they were to send portions to others. And it says in verse 12, this is a very important verse, look at it again. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink, and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had what? Understood the words that were declared unto them. If we understand the word that is declared unto us, we're to what? Obey that word that is declared. It says in verse 13, And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, and the Ezra and the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. Who were gathered? The chief of the fathers and the people and the priests and the Levites. Everybody's to hear it. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should uh, dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities. This was something that they found written. It's like that they had not been mindful of it for a long time, but now they find that there's something they're supposed to be doing, and that that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth into the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the streets of the water gate, and in the streets of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths, 
For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, or Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. They were revived. They began to do something that they had been taught to do years and years before. Stand in the old paths and walk in the old ways. And in the days of Joshua, they had done this, but they had not done this since the days of Joshua. The son of Noah. And there was a was very great gladness. What does that mean? That means when God's people start responding to God's word and obeying God's word, there will be great gladness or happiness. Now we cannot be happy if we don't do not respond to God's word. And it goes on to say in verse eighteen, and also day by day, from the first day unto the last, he read in the book of the law of God for seven days, and they kept the feast seven days. Every day, day by day, from the first unto the last, this was a period of time that they read, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the manner. So if you don't think that reading and teaching and preaching the word of God and obeying the word of God. Hearing the Word of God and obeying the Word of God is important. You look at what Ezra did here in the book of Nehemiah. How important is it for us to, first of all, hear the Word, and secondly, to obey the Word. And if we'll get our hearts right to do that, and I believe that we have a people that want to do that. I believe we have a people that come to hear the Word of God and press upon the preacher to hear the Word of God. They, just like they pressed on Jesus to hear. And when we have that kind of interest and that kind of concern and, and realize the importance of it, did you know that God has magnified His Word, listen carefully, above all His name? You turn to Psalm 138, I believe it is. Verse 2. See if that's it. Psalm 138. Look at verse 2. I will worship toward Thy holy temple and praise Thy name. Thy name is great, isn't it? In God's name, for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now you see, we wouldn't know about his name if it were not for his word, and that's why God says I magnify he's magnified his word above all his name. See, we wouldn't know about Jesus without the word. We wouldn't know about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't know about the salvation that we have. We wouldn't we wouldn't know that we needed faith. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So we must put the Word first in order to understand God. And that's why we need the teaching and preaching of it. Well, we thank you for your patience and your kind attention. Uh, let us stand together and we'll be dismissed.